This is episode 21 with Danielle Tate. You're listening to the Hustle Culture Podcast, where we profile hustlers from all over the world as they go through the climb and seek to make a difference. Here are your hosts, Tayo Roxon and Carlos Gill. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hustle Culture. As always, I've got my co-host, Los, with me. But before I get into that, I want to talk about our guest today. She's been described as a hustler in heels, and I'm pretty excited because she was a guest with me on this Told by Nomads, and I got to learn a lot from her and about her. So I'm excited for Los and I to really give uh, her a chance to talk about her book and really how bootstrapping and leaning in is the best way to make an impact in today's world. Los? Yo, what's happening, Tayo? It's good to be back here on another episode of Hustle Culture. Just want to say thanks to all of our listeners tuning in here on iTunes. And yeah, we've got a great guest lined up. Her name is Danielle Tate. Tayo described her as a hustler in heels. She is the founder and CEO of Miss Now Misses. She's also an author and supporter of all female founders, and we are stoked to hear how she bootstrapped her company to go from zero to over 300,000 customers. And I can tell you as someone who has been married for a decade now, her her service, her company is one that I wish existed when I went ahead and decided to uh, tie the knot to my wife. And uh, with that, Danielle, we're so excited to have you here on Hustle Culture. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So, Carlos just gave us a little background about who you are, Danielle. I think it'd be great for you to give the audience a chance to talk about how you got into entrepreneurship because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you started off in medical sales and then you got into this company. So, what was the story behind that? Yes, I I am an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I was in cancer diagnostic sales, the number one sales rep for a Fortune 500 company. And absolutely loved what I did for a living. And in the midst of all of this travel of 1,300 miles a week and visiting hospitals, I took a day off work um, after getting married to change my name. And first on the list was the DMV. And I stood in line for a good two and a half hours with my form and went to file it. And the clerk told me that I had an outdated form, even though it was the form on their website. So... To the back of the line I went and had plenty of time to complete basically the exact same form with a, with a different checkbox. And as I made it to, ironically, the same clerk, she then informed me that I had brought a marriage certificate but not my certified marriage certificate. So I had wasted the majority of the day delegated to change my name, accomplishing nothing. And frustrated, fuming, I went home to my husband and said, there should be some sort of service, some sort of TurboTax for name change to handle this. And he looked at me and said, well, you should do that. I got to say, that's actually pretty genius. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to chime in here because uh, out of the two hosts on the Hustle Culture, I think I have a little bit more marriage experience than uh, whoa, than whoa. Mr. Roxon over whoa, there. Whoa, on his whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. A lot of it. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead, Carlos. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was going to say it's, it's, it's a genius idea or concept because I've been there. You know, my, my wife, when she changed her, her last name, it was like pulling teeth. You got to take time off of work. You have to come up with all these documents. And even now, I have friends of mine that 
um, their wives haven't changed their last name for that simple fact. So t- tell us, Danielle, about you know the, the service that you offer or how is it that you got to this this point? So you just get married. You're explaining this to your husband. You know, tell us about the steps of what it took for you to ultimately change your name and how your business um, makes it easier and simplifies the process for brides. Sure. So I, you know, made this grand statement that there should be a name change service and was then told I should build it. And I didn't immediately quit my job and and do that. Um, the idea rattled around and germinated and I looked into the market and there are 2.3 million marriages a year in the United States and 88.6% of those women change their name. And so having that big of a market that in with the same pain point that I was experiencing gave me the impetus to to delve in and look and every state is different and you file name change forms with social security, the IRS for a new for a new driver's license, voter registration. Every state's different. All the fees are different. The filing order is different. And state legislature is different. Some states don't allow made-into-middle name change. So all of this confusion and red tape and bureaucracy really, really shone a light onto this is really a problem and there really should be a solution. And so I, I did the research. I called all 50 DMVs and talked to them about their process and finagled them to send me their forms so I could look at them. And through that, created MissNowMrs.com, which is an online name change service for brides. And so we ask our clients a series of questions. What's your name now? What's your new name, your address, your phone number? And we take that information and auto-complete all of the necessary paperwork specific to them, their state, and their situation. We do everything down to banks, credit cards, insurance providers, mortgages, professional licenses, and gym memberships. So in essence, we take a 13-hour tedious process and turn it into a 30-minute online experience. So this is interesting. So Hustles, I want to take a time to, to pause and let her talk about this. You first said you found a problem. This is what a lot of the listeners are always asking. You decided to solve it. You made a proclamation, and then you did the research. And now everybody's always talking about how can I do something, how can I do something. And I'm always saying talent beats hard work anytime. I mean, sorry, hard work beats talent anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, that's not what I meant to say. Hard work beats talent anytime. And you got to put in the work. And you, if I remember correctly, you said you spent four days worth of time calling DMVs in 50 states. The reason why I'm yes. highlighting that is is not only because it highlights your hustle, but that's that's real, <laughs> real work in understanding and painstaking research to make sure that you're legitimately solving the problem and not making just um, a proclamation because you feel like that's what it should be. Can you talk about why you decided to spend that much time doing that? I didn't want to spend that much time doing that, and I don't think initially I realized how much time it would take. But you know, if you're if you're going to start a company and you know change your life dramatically and become an entrepreneur, it behooves you to take the amount of time needed to figure out if you have a truly good idea, if there really is a market, and if you are actually able to create the solution that you see for that problem. So. Yes, I, I, I spent eight hours, um, actually, no, I think it was like three days total hold time in calling the DMVs. Um, but it, it was important. And it's it, by understanding their process and seeing all of their forms, I was able to boil down my idea and talk to someone, um, my technical co-founder, and say, this is what I need you to build and what I need it to do. 
is that possible? Hmm. Yeah, I'm really curious to know. So that, first of all, that is amazing testament to your just dedication and uh, and perseverance. I know I wouldn't have really the patience to call um, 50 DMBs. I know even just calling one of them can be painful, um, <laughs> much less 50. So major props there. So I'm really curious to know, Danielle, from ideation to execution, how long did it take for you to actually get your business up and running? 12 months. Okay. I think, or a little under that. So from the time where I had the problem changing my name through doing research, through launching minimal viable product for our first customer, right right in the 12-month range. And what were some of the challenges or obstacles that you faced as you were going through this process? Um, just the, having the time to, to make those calls, to do the research. Um, I was working, I know, crazy hours traveling and very diligent to make sure that, you know, I did my job for the company I was working for first and very separately in off time, in weekends, on vacation days, did the research for Miss Now Mrs. Um, that's something that I would encourage, the separation um, for anyone who's doing a little bit of both, to, to be very clear about that. Like, don't email yourself to your company's email address about your startup idea. That that's, that's messy and can cause a lot of problems later. Another big hurdle was just technology. My last computer class was in middle school. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> bachelor's in biology did very little other than tell me, you know, if there's a book, I can read it and figure it out myself. And so HTML for Dummies is a well-worn book on my shelf for, for the code. I did the grunt coding for all of the forms on Miss Nemesis. So I know Danielle that uh, you know you, you at, at this point you were uh, just getting married. Did you have any kids? No, no, um, no, not at that point. No. So I really want to kind of talk about the balance because one thing that you that you said that stood out was you're working a full time job and you had this dream and aspiration to launch your own gig. And I have to be you know, blown with you. There's a lot of people that have that same aspiration, but they really don't know how to get it off the ground. And for anyone out there that's listening to this that is currently in the rut of working a full-time job, but yet they have this, you know, this grand idea that they're really passionate about, what advice do you have for him or her? I would say do whatever you can, like sacrifice the evenings, the weekends, the happy hours to do as much of the research and early build as you possibly can and have friends help you. I had a, a girlfriend who uh, was unemployed and I was able to bargain and barter with her and she did some research for me as well. So take the time to figure out and make sure it's viable put the time and effort in to build it to as close to, if not completely ready, uh, before before you make the leap. Love it, love it. It's, it's, it really goes back to doing the work here and putting in the time. Uh, Danielle, one of my favorite things to do, you know, since I've been, I've been hosting podcasts now, is to get feedback from the listeners and just, you know, let them know, like, this is kind of what they want, this is what they like, this is what they didn't like. And Carlos touched on it earlier saying you grew your business from zero to 300,000 customers across two countries. I, I, wonder what, I want to know what that experience was like when you first got that, that customer that said, hey, I believe in you. I believe her name was Wendy. I believe in you and I'm going to you know, be one of your customers and I'm going to evangelize that. What's, what's that experience like where it's just starting to be real for you? It's it's like one of those Hallmark commercials. It's just one of those like, whoa, 
<laughs> moments when you have your first customer who paid money to buy your service and actually liked it and used it and did an email to say that something was broken or they wanted a refund. It was incredibly validating. It was so exciting. Um, and it was just sort of the beginning of all the great things that followed. So hallmark moment is, is sort of how it felt. No, it's good. I can imagine. I, and I'm an unashamed uh, admirer and, and watcher of Hallmark Channel. So I, I, do, <laughs> I do see all the cliche good ending, especially during Christmas time. Um, Everybody <laughs> loves a happy ending. Yeah, that is, that is true. So okay, so let's you now do this miss now misses uh, dot com. You've you've left the job uh, that you're doing, and then you you're becoming this 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 uh, entrepreneur that's that's embraced as a, a female entrepreneur. Even people are saying, "Well, you're this voice of females." Is that what led you to write your book, The Elegant Entrepreneur, or was there something else that led you to say, "Hey, I built a business. This is what I need to do. Now I need to be a voice for other females." So similar to seeing the void and the need for a name change service, um, there was a void in books for female founders. And I, I've read many books and I've learned a great deal, but there was never a book that said, here it is, here are the steps from idea to exit in clear, concise, usable terms with tools that you could immediately use that were free and then told you, here's how it's going to feel at that particular step or phase and it's okay. Mm. And here are insights from other prominent entrepreneurs who have been through these steps and here's their advice so you don't stumble the way they did. And so I ended up writing the book that I really wish had been available when I started Miss Now Misses. And I didn't write it because, oh, I'm the world's greatest entrepreneur. I wrote it because I want to lower the barriers to entry and success for future female founders. Exactly. And I got the sense that you're demystifying you know, what it is to be an entrepreneur in today's world. It's almost like you're creating this manual. And because a lot of people, Carlos and I started this podcast because you know, you look at Forbes, you look at Business Insider, everybody says, it seems like it's an overnight success. Um, and no one really talks about the processes involved. And it seems like that's what your book really touches on. And even focusing on a big part of the market, which which are women, and they're not highlighted. So um, I, I, I want to commend you for doing that, because I don't feel like a lot of people, the media in particular, does a good job of actually highlighting the way Pure lady hustlers, uh, hustlers in heels, are are actually making um, an impact in today's world. Uh, thank you for commending me, and and you're right. I don't think the media does a great job highlighting female founders. We're just starting to become entrepreneur curious. We're starting to see shows like Shark Tank and The Profit become incredibly popular, and so it's time for female founders to be talked about and to be guided and. Women tend to be slightly more risk averse, which make us makes us outstanding entrepreneurs, but also <laughs> I feel inhibits women from starting up. And so the word demystify is perfect by demystifying what it takes to go from idea to exit, how it feels and the inner resources you need to have and what the lifestyle is really like. I really hope that women read this book and are like, you know what, I can absolutely do this. This is exactly what I want to do. And then also maybe a few people don't start up that would have would have failed and would have had a really miserable experience because it's not something that's in line with their personality or their, their life goals. Yeah, yeah. And even when you were writing the book, um, I, you were saying you initially intended it to be just three 
uh, three people, uh, three people, right? There's a cover. And then I guess through referral and people saying, I know this person, another person, it ended up becoming 28. Is that correct? Yes. There are 28 people, amazing entrepreneurs, founders, um, executives of companies that contributed their insights and wisdom and feelings to to the book. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Los? Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm really intrigued by this. Anytime that we have an opportunity to have, you know, female entrepreneurs and founders of, of businesses on hustle culture, um, especially those that are married and have kids like you, Danielle, I'm always really intrigued to talk about the balance. You know, let's talk about you outside of work. How do you balance having a, having a young family and also running a very successful business? It's all about planning. I think if you just leave life to happen, then it's going to be completely out of whack. Some, like work's going to take over or work's going to fall by the wayside or your relationship's going to fall apart. So I'm a planner and I very much sort of schedule my life to make sure that my priorities stay straight and that I have time for my family. I prioritize my son, but still make sure that I'm growing and keeping, you know, pedal to the middle on this dumbasses. Very cool. What what's your husband do for a profession? If you don't mind me asking, he is a serial entrepreneur. So I think between nice. the two okay. of us, we have three businesses, multiple um, real estate ventures, and uh, and a six year old. Basically, nice, nice. <laughs> Would you say the six year old keeps you the busiest out of all of your uh, business interests? <laughs> he is by far my favorite startup. Um, I I love. <laughs> planting into him and answering his questions and he's living in a house where ideas turn into businesses and mamas write books about entrepreneurship and um, he is a fourth generation hustler like the kids the kid was doing the um, bait and switch in the backseat of the car he was like hey can I play IXL on the iPad which is a school you know mathematics game and I was like well maybe I'm not sure and he's like um, why don't I switch that to connect four? And so we had this whole conversation about bait and switch and what was the bait. And it, it's, it's, it's so fun. I, I, I love being a mom. Whoa. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> that's, that's real. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Being, being a mom, you know, I, obviously I, I, I'm a dad, but I give my wife all the credit in the world because that's a really tough job in comparison to, to everything else out there. Uh, but you know, let's, let's go back to miss versus, or I'm sorry, it's miss <laughs> no, now, I'm miss, not miss versus missus. <laughs> that could be a completely WWF. separate thing. <laughs> Should you stay single or be married? Miss now, missus. So in the pre-show, I was telling you that I, I could see this being something that every single bridal expo in America should be all over. I'm really curious to know what marketing are you guys doing? And um, within social media, within the social media community of brides, do you see uh, a lot of brides out there talking about this service? And how do you reach them? So that's, that's an interesting question. Um, one of my challenges being the founder of a wedding company, it started as a newlywed. And every year I get older, but the brides stay the same age. And so making sure that we're communicating correctly and on the platforms, the social media platforms that brides are using is something that we pay a great deal of attention to. Um, Another way that we market within the industry is through strategic partnerships. The bridal industry is huge in terms of dollars, but small in terms of national brands. Mm -hmm. And so securing partnerships and having our service recommended and highlighted uh, through national partnerships has been essential to to the growth of Miss Nemesis. 
Yeah. No, I, I think that's always it's always an interesting thing when entrepreneurs are starting up. And I, I initially when I first started the podcast, I think I was focused on what other people's successes look like. And I didn't realize the importance mm-hmm. of strategic partnerships. And when when we have guests on to talk about that, I, I love highlighting that because that's that's very, very key to a lot of your successes. You know, major key. Building that major key, like DJ Khaled to say. But um, ma- ma- having that relationship and building that uh, networking format, the platform is really what leads to whether you find a co-founder, whether you find your potential referral-based business, or how you take your service from um, you know, a, from one level to like an exponentially great level. So can you talk about the importance of of relationships period in, 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 in your business as an author and your business as an entrepreneur, as a speaker and with Miss Now Misses? Sure. Uh, relationships are very important and even at the customer level. Miss Now Misses is a service. Women can absolutely go out and spend 13 hours and change their name themselves. Why, why would they pay for a service? The time savings and the, the high-touch customer service. You can call, you can live chat, you can email our customer sales reps, and they will walk you through everything from, I don't understand this particular question on the IRS 8822, to I'm between hyphenating or taking my maiden as my middle name. And building that relationship with our customers is important very important to us and it's it pays back in huge dividends those customers tell their friends buy gift cards for their for their engaged friends and write glowing reviews on places like wedding wire and the knot and so the relationship from the basic level of company to customer is vital and then growing up from there your relationship with your co-founders always being honest and even when it's uncomfortable just clearing the air and making sure everybody's on the same page is, is vital Right. And then moving into to industry partnerships, hmm. be be a good person. You know, golden rule, and and your partnerships will flourish. If you try to do something shady, if you do something sleight of hand, or play one against the other, it will come back to bite you every time. Yeah, no, you're so right. You know, so you know, Carlos has so eloquently pointed out that I can't talk to the marriage point, but one thing I can talk to is partnerships. And that's, that's mm-hmm. one of the trickiest things uh, to, to really dive into as a business partner. When Carlos and I started this podcast, we, you know, it was a relationship we had and we initially met on Twitter, but we, we sort of felt each other out and we, we eventually met in person and it was, it's one of those hit or miss type of things. But I've, I've been around so many entrepreneurs who've told me that they had a great idea, but their contentious relationship with their co-founder was the downfall of the company. And I've heard this, you know, I hear this almost as many times as I hear um, a, a company mismanaging funds. It seems to be a big reason why companies fail. I, as an entrepreneur, as, as someone who's written a book on the 12-step uh, process from ideation to execution, that part of you know, the foundational element of finding a co-founder that, that really is married to your business idea. What can you do to find that, that partner, that ideal partner? Because it seems scary to let go, your, let go of your idea to someone else. And you're not letting it go. You're trying to find someone that fills your weak spots. So what you're bad at, they're good at. What you're good at, they're not so good at. And hopefully your connections, both of your connections overlap to some degree, but you're building the network of people you can draw from for business support, for for whatever you may be looking for. So I think it's incredibly important. Everyone sort of looks in a very small circle. They look for friends, family members, cousins, coworkers. And I think casting a wider net 
and truly looking for the person that has the skill sets and the values, the core values that you have and your vision for what success is is important. Uh, there's a platform called cofounderslab.com, which is an online matchmaking tool to help co-founders find each other and match on, on what they're looking for and what they need. Gotcha. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I often, I often look to, uh, right. I compare that's also the process. Yeah. I, it's I compare also my the husband's process. company. Oh wait, it is your husband's <laughs> oh, company. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. I have to pause here. Cause I've been to co-founders. I'm a member of co-founders lab and I've actually been to their event. So your husband is the one that runs it. He is one of the co-founders of Co-Founders Lab. Yes. Okay. Well, th- that's 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 first of all, that's a plug for th- that's the most epic plug we've ever had here. So I want to commend you in that. That's so fluid. But that's an amazing resource. Wow. I get, I get, I well, get it's, that it's true. And Lord, I've heard about it enough. Absolutely, I can talk about co-founders and finding your proper co-founder forever. Wow. I don't think I've heard Tayo that excited. Well, because I, I was literally at their event a month ago, and I was like, "There's." She just said, "Yeah, it's my husband's company." So casually, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was just there again. A, a service that I wish I would have had access to. How long has it existed, Danielle? They started it, I think, four years ago, right around okay. there. Okay. Yeah, I, I I had a startup um, that I founded back in 2008, and I actually went through a few partners along the process, and. I wish that would have existed. I, I tell you, I compare finding a co-founder similar to dating. It, it's very much like a dating process. And, you know, Tyler, you, you can attribute this because you and I, we've launched, obviously, a podcast together. We're partners here in Hustle Culture. I would say that as this, as we progress, the relationship becomes stronger just like any other relationship. Yeah, we, mature. we had a risky one, though, because we didn't sign a prenup. So, see, that's my thing. Do an op, <laughs> do an operating agreement. It is uncomfortable. You ask tough questions. You talk about who does what, who expects what, what your metrics are, what to do if one of you or if there's more than one of you doesn't feel like the other person is doing their job and what to do. If you can't get through that before you start a company, you should not have a company together. No, you, you're so right. That's a that's a really good point. It's real talk right there. Yeah, hashtag real talk. And with um, co-founders, while I was staying here, uh, <laughs> I know, I know, your husband is amazing, and you are amazing. So your son is just going to be even more amazing. I'm, I'm, you know, that's that's a gene pool there. That's one for the ages. But one thing I want to talk about with the co-founder thing is the tech co-founder is the most sought after one, and it's also like. I don't know, like a unicorn for some reason. I went to the co-founders lab meeting and everybody wanted a tech founder. They wanted a tech co-founder. And I was was sitting there doing the math. I was like, if everybody wants a tech co-founder and there's only one or two here, it's not going to necessarily work out to to everybody's ratio. So how, why, why is that so important? Um, I think many people have ideas and ideas are easy to have. Turning ideas into a functional product or service isn't so easy. And if you don't have a technical background, that's sort of the stopgap. And so I actually, I think there's like eight pages of the book are dedicated on how to find a technical co-founder. But one of the things in talking to technical co-founders, what they hate is everyone's like, oh, I have this idea. Can you build it? And I think if you approach someone with, here's my idea, here's the market, here's what 
I need this to do and the basic components of what it would look like, like in balsamic or something easy, it shows that you've already invested in the idea. And maybe instead of asking them, will you be my, will you be my co-founder, ask them to help you with a small piece of the problem, get their advice. And that's going to slowly mm-hmm. draw them in and they're going to be more likely to, to join you as a technical co-founder. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually went through that with my business back in the day, and my co-founder um, actually was someone that I had hired initially to be my my webmaster, and he had the technical expertise for web design and building that I didn't have. And uh, again, like to your point, we were able to build a business relationship that way as a you know client and vendor, and eventually turned into a actual partnership with with. Um, Miss now misses and as well as your book, Danielle, talk to us about where do you see the future for you in in growing in both of these areas? So Miss now misses, I was just doing an analysis of our growth and what we're doing. And I realized, you know, we started in 07, we launched Get Your Name Back in 08, we launched Canada in 2012, Married Name Game in 2013, Marriage License Now in 2014, Name Change Next Step in 2015, and we have an app coming out in 2016. And so we're forever doing something and growing our platform. And um, I envision us continuing to do that. And at some point, I think it would make a lot of sense for a larger entity that already has brides to to add us in as as part of their company so there there could be an acquisition in my future i'm open to it but i'm also Mm. thoroughly enjoying continuing to to grow and and to widen the things that we do we do with name change love it It, this is a question i have i was doing i was talking about this on snapchat today and i think you're the perfect person to ask this there's this um idea of building a personal brand building a business brand or whether you do both and I find myself constantly straddling both because a lot of what I've done is individual based. You know, it's my podcast, my media platform, uh, and I'm working on a network of that. And then, but then you've got the UID brand that I have, which is use your difference to make a difference. So, how do you decide whether you want to be like the Oprah model, where you're you're the face of everything and people identify with both you and the idea, or whether you're the Tom Shoes model, where you don't necessarily know who the Tom Shoes CEO is, but you know what that we know what Tom Shoes represents. What's your advice for that? So I have just experienced both. Um, with Miss Now Misses, I felt that the company needed to look and seem much bigger and professional than it was when we started. And so I was very quiet as the founder and only recently added a page you know, about the founder to say, yes, I experienced this problem and that's where this company came from. Conversely, with the book, it's all about my struggles and learning and overcoming and growing with Miss Now Misses. And so it's very much personal brand. And so it's interesting. To, it's, I think it's very dependent on what you're trying to do and what your product is and who your audience is. So that's a really complicated answer. I'm sorry. No, no. Look, I, I don't, I'm not even sure. I, I, when I said about when I talked about it on Snapchat today, I, I said there wasn't any right answer. I think it's just... It's a matter of doing what feels unique to you. A lot of what I'm doing is media-based, and I, I, I'm following the Oprah model. I, I told you earlier, and you, we started chuckling at this. I said, you know, it would be cool if someone can say, you know, Tayo's the male Oprah. You know, people always say female that, but I was like, yeah, and you were like, ah, oh, that's that's awesome. But um, that's the point, you know. I think it's, for me, being telling my story through podcasting and through, like, media outlets is one of the best ways that I can connect with the audience and shine away from that 
creates a certain disconnect. So I think that's what's true to this platform, but for other platforms, it might not be so. So yeah. I, I agree. And you have a great brand and you're very personable. So yeah, you absolutely need to leverage that. Uh-huh. Thank you. Well, Carlos, you, you have a great brand too, Carlos. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I'm very flattered, Tayo. I try. Now, I, I think personal branding is extremely important, um, you know, especially in today's day and age where so many people are connected through social media. I think people really want to be engaged by personalities and personas as opposed to just logos. And if you can find that happy medium where you can leverage your personal brand to relate within a certain segment or an audience of consumers out there and then connect them back to your brand, then, then you're really winning. Um, you know, Danielle, we, we are running kind of sh- close here on time, and we have this segment that we do at the conclusion of every episode. Um, I got to ask you, are you a fan of the show Shark Tank? I am. You are Barbara awesome. Barbara awesome. is uh, actually in the book. She uh, talked about how it feels to exit a company and that you need to be prepared for all of the emotions that come with an exit. Wow. Got it. Got it. So, you know, with this segment that we do, we like to give our guests an opportunity to go ahead and pitch themselves and their business and anything else that you want people to know. So we're going to put you on the spot here, but you are a natural born hustler. And uh, I know that you're not a stranger to pitching by any means. So we're going to give you about 30 seconds and feel free to take it away when you're ready. 2.3 million people get married every year. 88% of them need to change their name. Would you spend $30 to save 13 hours and not stand in office lines at the DMV and Social Security? I would, and my customers do too. I've taken Miss Now Misses from zero customers to 300,000 in two countries. And in growing that business as an accidental entrepreneur, I learned a great deal the hard way. And so I wrote The Elegant Entrepreneur, The Female Founder's Guide to Starting and Growing Your First Company to lower the barriers to entry and success for future female founders. I talk about the 12 steps from idea to exit. Boom. Where can we where can we find you and um, what do you have coming up? Where can people find your book? Where are you on social media and what's next? All right, you can find the book on Amazon in paperback or Kindle download. If you're curious more about the Female Founders Guide to Starting and Growing Your First Company, you can check us out at elegantentrepreneur.co. You can find me on Twitter at Elegant Entrepreneur. I'm also on Instagram at Elegant Entrepreneur. Miss Now Misses is at Miss Now Misses Com on Twitter, at Miss Now Misses.com if you do need to change your name. And both companies have Facebook pages as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I remember today's episode was definitely one of those that would actually help you to get your idea to execution in 12 steps is as um, uh, Danielle eloquently talked about in Elegant Entrepreneur. And if you're also looking for a name change in an industry that is booming, uh, you should definitely, definitely, definitely check out MissNowMrs.com. But more than anything, I think the idea of what we got here from the interview is the fact that you've got to put in the work, you've got to do the research, and you've got to just jump. I think many times people get complacent with skating through life, and that's the easiest thing to do, but... Jump in is what gets you from good to great. And getting from good to great is the best way to use your difference to make a difference. So till next time, it's going to be me and Carlos making sure we're hustling hard and bringing you great content. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hustle Culture Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and keep on hustling.